Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This. Check out www.nowhearthis.biz. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. We are coming to you from Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out on the web at www.cbpro, as in Crystal Blue Productions, cbpro.net. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We are thrilled to now be on both iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Lots of great guests on Now Hear This Entertainment, or as I've come to call it, NHTE. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Nashville, my guest is a performer, a songwriter, he's a performer and songwriting coach, he's a member of the Alabama Music Hall of Fame, he worked with country singer Frankie Ballard in the lead up to Ballard signing with Warner Brothers, my guest also won a Telly Award for the Less Is More video, among others he has written hits for Shelby Lynn and David Ball, you've been listening to one of my guest's songs called Too Much Blood in My Alcohol Level, please welcome Mark. Mark Allen Barnett. Hi, Bruce. How are you? Hello, Nick. How's everything? Doing great. Doing great. And uh, I'm actually out of breath from reading that that intro. And there's actually, you know, many other accolades that uh, can and should be heaped upon you. I know. It sounds really good when you say it. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm, but uh, well, I've been I've been pretty lucky. I've had a, a, a long career in Nashville, and uh, basically don't owe anybody enormous amounts of money, and am still doing <laughs> what I love to do. Well, it's great to have you on the show, and and thank you for making the time. Um, you do always keep yourself so busy, and a part of me wants to say. And and because this was said on a prior episode of Now Hear This Entertainment, that it's just the way of the new economy. But you've been wearing yeah. multiple hats, and successfully, I might add, for years now. Well, I always like to say that the rest of the world seems to have caught up with us. Uh, in music, you're always going from gig to gig. You don't know where the next one is going to happen. You you keep ten things juggling in the air to make one thing happen, and you're always reinventing yourself. And I think that's what we have now in the rest of the economy. People are doing from job to job. They're keeping things juggling. Uh, we actually have more entrepreneurs, people cre- creating smaller businesses, and that's what songwriting and the music business is a a small business so uh, i've been lucky at being able to do that but it takes a lot of other people involved uh with careers and so it's never just one person it's a combination of a lot of things well but that having been said you know with with you doing as much as you are doing is is there such a such a thing then as a typical day for mark allen barnett though i mean do you schedule out Okay, songwrite for X amount of hours, coach for X amount of hours, and so on? Well, somewhat. Uh, I'm, as a matter of fact, as I was speaking to you, I'm, uh, I am about to go into a, a writing appointment where I will be actually doing some writing, working with a 15-year-old artist and her father. Uh, they've just moved to town, and I'm trying to coach them through the things. We've written three songs, and I'll work on her performance on those, and then we'll write something else. Uh, tomorrow, there's an artist that I have worked with uh, for uh, in the past, uh, 
uh, and she's a little bit older, 27, and so I'll be doing kind of the same thing. Uh, it, it is basically a combination of writing, performing, recording, uh, coaching, all of that kind of uh, goes to goes in and out. It all depends. Everything that I do depends on what the person I'm working with needs. Yeah, and, and so it sounds to me like you're saying that there are things that are, I guess, on the schedule, but I, I'm I'm also sensing, but I also just you know from knowing you personally and professionally that that you know you do kind of leave some wiggle room, you know, so you're maybe out performing or you're out at a writer's night or you're just sitting and listening one night and you make a connection and you go, oh, okay, I you know I need to get with this person the day after tomorrow, you know, and 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 you got enough of an opening on your calendar where you can make that type of thing happen on short notice, yes? Yes, and so you kind of have to be prepared at any time. Uh, you have to be able to be on top of your on your gig. If you're performing, you have to be really good at that at, at a moment's notice. You have to be able to roll with the punches when things don't work out, and that happens a lot. You know, writing appointments don't work out. I, I've written with a lot of hit writers who, uh, in the middle of the writing session, got called away to do other business things that they did. I had mm-hmm. one guy who uh, owned a plumbing contracting business. He had a number. He had a three number one songs, and he had to go <laughs> attend to that. So, a, a lot about the music business is just being flexible in everything that you have to do, and, and you do schedule as much as you can. But you have to be able to roll with it, however it goes. Okay, so I gave some of the Mark Allen Burnett highlights in the intro, um, but and check this out. I'm, I'm talking to the listeners right now. Mab, you have been in Nashville for 26 years now and made the connection for your first cut, your first night. T- tell us that story. Well, it was one of those things. It kind of classically illustrates what Nashville is. I had written the song uh, basically from an idea with my father. My father was one of these guys who would pick up the phone and just start talking. And he wouldn't say hello or anything. And he was always, he was a businessman, entrepreneur, and just always come up with ideas for songs, which were universally terrible. Uh, but he came up with this one idea for a song about a trucker who had, had went to his doctor and had pains. And uh, the doctor would ask him, well, where does it hurt? And he says, well, it hurts when I'm in Arizona and it hurts when I'm in Alabama. And it hurts. Yeah, and I, I thought, well, this is not as totally hideous as some of the things that uh, we did. And along with him and, and a friend of mine, Ron Muir, who had lived in Nashville for 10 years before and moved back to Birmingham, we kind of crafted this really interesting song. And on my one of my first trips up to Nashville, I recorded uh, a full album's worth of material, 10 songs in a, mm-hmm. in a full studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first night in town when I physically moved, uh, I I actually made the contact. I played a writer's night. A guy came over and asked me for a tape of my songs, and I gave him one. Six months later, he tracked me down because I didn't have a national phone number at that time, and so they had to, to find uh, find me. But uh, wow. that had been discovered uh, being performed uh, on the stereo at Tree Music, and a producer named Billy Sherrill walked by the office, heard the song, and put it on a girl named Shelby Lynn, wow. and uh, that ended up in a Willie Nelson Christopherson television movie called Another Pair of Aces, wow. and the only song my father ever wrote, but got his name in People <laughs> Magazine. He said, I don't know what's so hard about writing songs. Unreal, unreal. And, you know, a part of me wants to say 
that before I let you answer that, I should have done the the, the do not try this at home disclaimer. Why? Uh, you know, for for the people that are listening that think, see, I can go to Nashville and you know my first time, you know. But at the same time, it also goes back to a previous episode of of this podcast, you know, where the conversation was along the along the lines of, you know, if you're going to be in Nashville, you know, bring your A game because you never know who might be there, or in, or in your case, you never know where your tape or nowadays your CD or your MP3 might end up. That's exactly right. It, 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 luck is when opportunity and preparation meet. I had written a very different kind of song. It was uh, something that was being looked for. They did Nobody knows what they're looking for until so they hear it. It was recorded very well, and so that it, it represented me when I wasn't there, and it fit the project that they needed. But if it had not been written the way it was, if it had not been recorded the way it was, and if it had not been being listened to by the people that were listening to it, I would never have gotten anything. Well, and uh, those that have very sensitive hearing or, or perhaps good headphones when you're listening to this podcast, that was me typing in the background. I love that statement that you just made. Luck is where opportunity and preparation meet. Um, yeah. That's, I, I wish I knew where I got that from, but it's been <laughs> in my family a long time. Well, that's uh, you know that that's that's the kind of statement that it doesn't surprise me to hear roll off the tongue of you know of someone that's been writing for as long as you have. Um, but let's let's talk about some of the fun stuff here for a few minutes. You opened for the likes of the Charlie Daniels Band, Tanya Tucker, Patty Loveless, Restless Heart. Uh, I know, and 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 we can talk about this as a follow up. That it's not all as glamorous as it sounds. You and I have had that conversation before, but there had to have been some fun times in there. Yes. Oh, I've had extraordinary times. I'm first and foremost an entertainer. I always have been. And, and that's why I could put myself into different situations. I could do stand-up comedy, and I could do a, a listening room, or I could do a loud, extraneous bar. And uh, I do that because I have a wide variety of, of material. And also, I listen to audiences. And so that has served me well, and I've had a magnificent time. I've had very few of the gigs everybody hates. I don't really hate anything, you know. Mm. Sometimes you wish you might have a better time slot or different people see you, whatever. That's just the way it works, and you've got to go with it. That's a, Make that's, the best of what you got. Yeah, that's a that's a great attitude. Um, any any one story stick out that, that you want to share from, from, I just read off that long list of names, any, any real... I don't know, funny or, or some some special night that, that you had uh, working with all those people? Well, uh, the, the Charlie Daniels story was was fun because I, I'm, he was a huge hero of mine growing up in Birmingham in the Southern Rock era. Sure. And here I finally get to, to uh, work with him and open a show. And where do I finally get a chance to meet one of my idols? Standing right next to him in the urinal in the restaurant, you know. I mean, that's that kind of uh, you know, that's not the most uh, the most uh, gallant place, but you have to do what you can do, you know. And and so so how does that how does that translate to uh, to you end, ending up opening for him? Well, I, I actually was opening for that was the show. Oh, I was okay. Opening okay. For him, and the place that I met him was in the restroom. Gotcha. It wasn't like gotcha. He got to see me on stage or any of that. He, because of that, I think he got a little uh, a chuckle at my personality <laughs> and, uh, and came out and he did see me. Uh, and we did uh, we actually did two shows together. Very very nice guy. And I I see him up here in Nashville from time to time. Uh, it's kind of funny the people that you meet in other areas of the country that live in Nashville. You have to go somewhere else to actually. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, well, let's let's go back to the it's not so glamorous angle because you tell young artists about what it's like. For example, uh, having to sit and record IDs early in the morning. Hi, this is Mark Allen Barnett, and you're listening to Tampa Bay's Best Country, 99.5 WQIK in Tampa. Hi, this is Mark Allen Barnett. You're listening to 106.5 WYRK and everything else that comes along with the demands of being a successful recording artist. Yes. And, and your day starts four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, and you're, you know, if you're coming into a new area, you've got to do the morning talk shows, and you've got to sound chipper on all of it. You get through that, and you've got to go meet with sponsors and meet and greets and other press. It's it's about a fifteen, sixteen hour day, uh, and and it just never ends. You're always meeting with somebody. You're always smiling, you know, and and it will wear you out. And then, of course, now with the online viral marketing that we have to do, uh, it's not unheard of. For for a, a new artist to be spending five six hours a day just doing Facebook Twitter responding to uh, fans and then meeting with managers and reviewing new material sound checks for for uh, for the shows the show getting back on the bus going to the next gig it's you know it's it's just an extraordinarily fatiguing uh, schedule and uh, and it happens every single day that's the life of an artist yeah and the and the. And the part where you're on stage is actually kind of the okay. I can relax a little bit now. And so, like, what, yeah. what do you mean I got to do my show? Well, compared to the demands of the rest of the day, you know, enjoy those two hours that you're up there because, you know, that's kind of the that's kind of the easy part. You know, and then we you, you have to factor in what about the times when you pull into town and the gig has been canceled because they didn't sell enough tickets and nobody told you, and it's it's fifteen hundred miles to your next gig, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know the, the uh, people who are really mad about something and blame it on you. You didn't have anything to do with it. Uh, the the band, something goes wrong with the band. You've got personality conflicts all the time. It, it's like, uh, you know, juggling a zoo continuously. <laughs> Put yourself on Noah's Ark. That's what you got to deal with. So all that having been said, you still do it all anyway. It so. Yeah, it, it, is, it yeah. is hard work and long hours, but you are someone who certainly is enjoying what he does. Certainly, yeah. I, I'm one of those very fortunate people. I don't wish I was doing anything else. You know, it seems like you run into artists, and they all want to be actors. Every actor wants to be an artist. Every writer wants to be an You know, everybody wants to be someone else, and I don't. I enjoy very much doing what I do, which I'm paid for, the teaching of the songwriting craft and the practical application of the business of music. And, uh, and I love what I do, I, I, and I work with... Some groups, but mostly it's one-on-one. And when you can give, uh, as it happened to me two days ago, uh, I was writing with a 15-year-old girl and her father. And I I managed to come up with a song and give them a way to address an idea they never saw happen before. And the little light bulb goes on, and you know that that will come into factor with what they do and everything else. You're teaching someone to fish. And uh, so that's the pleasure I get out of it, and it's every day for me. Well, you know, and every time I've seen you, you know, you always have a smile on your face. You're always laughing. And, you know, we talked here, uh, you know, on a previous podcast here in the studio. If you're coming to the studio and you're going to record and you've got a frown on your face, you're in a bad mood, you're coming away from some negative energy, you know, people are going to sense that it's going to come through on the recording. But, you know, in, in your case, if, if people are, oh, yeah, Mark Allen Barnett, every time I see that guy, he's always complaining about something. He's always got his head down. You know, people are going to are going to go the other way. And, and it is a business, you know, but I think it, it, it just naturally attracts more people to want to work with you. They say he's a funny guy. He's always smiling. He's always happy. And, you know, that that obviously uh, is an environment that everybody wants to be in and can 
can prosper in. Yes, well, well, that's true. And so many other things, particularly with songwriters and artists, we're beaten up by life. We never keep jobs very long. We can't keep relationships very long. And there's a tendency to want to go to the negative. And this is one of the things I have to work with writers uh, and, and artists, particularly the younger ones that come in and just feel like, you know, you're 15, 16 years old and you get that first broken heart. You just want to tell everybody <laughs> about it. Well, somebody who's 25, 26, 27 are not going to be preached to about love or life by somebody half their age. And so you've got to get outside of yourself. And that's one of the things that, uh, that you have to do. You're always someone's opening night. There's always someone who hasn't seen you before. There's always someone that hasn't heard what you have to say before. So you have to say, you have to keep that in mind. And uh, and if you are negative, if you are down, if you are not on your game, they'll go to somebody who is. That's a, I'm 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 writing that one down too. You're always someone's opening night. That's that's a that's another great. Well, you, you may you need to yeah. start coining some of these phrases. These are good. Oh, I am. They're they're going into my book. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. uh, I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me from Nashville on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line is Mark Allen Barnett. Visit his website at www.markallenbarnett.com. Now, you know, before I proceed with this, I was thinking about this as I was driving here to the studio today. I'm always telling people how to spell the guest's name so they can look up the website. And I realize, listeners, that, you know, you're looking at your iPod right now or you're looking at this on your screen if you're playing this through iTunes or whatever. The spelling is right there. I'm going to tell it to you anyways because you need to visit his, his website. But, you know, don't freak out. If, if How do I rewind on a podcast? Just look at look at the screen, look at look at my website, whatever. It's uh, markallenbarnett.com. That's Mark with a C and then A-L-A-N and B-A-R-N-E-T-T-E. There are links there to YouTube and to Twitter. Uh, and he, or excuse me, YouTube and Facebook, I apologize, and he has physical CDs as well as digital downloads available for purchase on his website. Uh, be sure to check out www.nowhearthis.biz, and that's H-E-A-R, and sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast. I say that all the time, and it really does mean a lot. Uh, feel free to use the social media buttons there as well to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. Mab, uh, I've always enjoyed watching you perform live because you you really take over the stage. Last night, I was out to dinner in one of those typical situations where someone's performing, so the conversation in the dining room gets louder, so then the performer turns the volume up, and then the conversation gets louder. Uh, talk, talk about that great technique that you employ when you're performing somewhere that isn't a listening room atmosphere. I'm a sneaky little guy sometimes. <laughs> One of the things I do is I do a little re- recon before I actually go on stage, and I just see what people are talking about. I'll visit, kind of stand around tables, not so much eavesdropping, just seeing if I can pick up a name or something like that. Uh, generally, the big talkers in a in a uh, place are going to are, are going to let themselves be known. I had a, a situation last week that there was one table of about eight people, and this one guy was just talking loud, loud, loud. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of zeroed in on him, and I have a song where you played it, uh, Too Much Blood My Alcohol Level. I talk to him. I talk straight to him. Where are you guys from? What are you doing? And, and I get this conversation going with him, play a song that fit him. And once you get, when you can use humor, 
once you get them interested in what you're doing, they'll look at you and shut up because they want to know what else you're going to say about them. Wow. Well, everybody else in the place wants to know about them too, so it draws everybody into the uh, into the uh, crowd into the show. I'll do that in sections of the room. I look at various level, uh, areas of the room, and we'll always play to the back of the room, uh, and and it will definitely uh, get people to pay attention. Theater training and acting helps a lot in that, uh, and so I'm able to kind of do that, and, uh, and stand-up comedy has helped me over the years, too, dealing with hecklers here and there. I just do them with songs. It's great. <laughs> um, and so on a similar note, there's also a funny little expression that you use both internally and, and sometimes even on stage. Tell the listeners what I'm referring to, as, as well as uh, how you misinterpreted it one time on stage. Yeah. It's my lovable uh, thing of the glow song. What's a glow song? Well, we are in such a short attention span now. Everybody's attention just moves on to something else. We've got information being bombarded us all the time. So now it's very easy to bore somebody. And if you are a performer and you're sitting there and you're losing your audience, you can tell, look out in the audience, and they'll have their phones up texting <laughs> or, or checking something on their phone, and you see the glow in their face. And, and I, I really am big on glow songs, and I try to... Show people how it happens. Well, what you have to do is figure out a way to get and keep people's attention. And these two women that were uh, at a larger table, there were about 12 women all at this one table to show that I did, and they were doing it. And I was just engaging them. You guys are close songs. I want the whole thing. After the show, they pulled me over and showed me what they were doing. One was at one end of the table, the other was the other. They were actually texting about me. And they were talking about how they loved these songs that I was doing, and oh, he's so funny. And they both showed me the conversation that had been going on. So it That's can cool. kind of backfire on you, but you just try to make a joke out of That's it. That's cool. But, you know, um, I, I always say, uh, and, and thank you for those that are subscribing to the podcast and are listening to every episode um, I, I won't apologize for the fact that I always say this because I think it's important, uh, especially for the guests. Uh, you know, Mab, for you to hear that, you know, this podcast is geared towards the legions of Mark Allen Barnett fans in, in the case of this episode, as well as people who just like hearing good music interviews. But I also encourage the up and comers to listen to this podcast to learn from people like yourself. Uh, and, and those are a couple of good back-to-back lessons that you just gave there. Number one, uh, you know, one table at a time or, or, or listening to what the conversation is, starting from the back of the room, picking sections. And, and then what you referred to there, a glow song. You know, if you're on stage and, and you see, uh-oh, I've hit a glow song, uh, you need to know how to react to that. I mean, in your case, um, it, you know, that was one unique situation that you described, but you know, you're a veteran of the stage, and you know how to react when you go, uh-oh, glow song, I need to, I need to, you know, I need to turn left instead of right here. Right. right. Uh, Mab, you go, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go right ahead. Um, you, have, you have written around 3,000 songs in the past 13 years. Do not adjust yeah. your iPods or <laughs> listening devices. Yes, he has yeah. written around 3,000 songs in the past 13 years. Um, share with the listeners, if you will, uh, that little tip that I've heard you give out before about what a writer should consider when they're laying out their song. And 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 for those that are hearing this podcast just as a music listener and not as a writer or performer, once you hear what he's about to say, you'll actually listen to music an entirely different way after you consider this perspective. Okay, well... My my techniques are mostly visual. I call it visual furniture, and it's 
it's the describing the scene. Too many writers and artists will get all into emotion, and, and it's very difficult to wrap an emotion in a different thing. But if you're telling who is in a scene, it's like you're directing a video. Uh, who's in this scene? Where's the scene taking place? What's the time frame? Uh, who are the characters in it? And you've got to physically describe that. Uh, someone once told me, act as if you're describing the scene to a blind person. You know, mm, you've got nice. to fill in the blanks. And if you get too emotionally driven, you lose that. Emotions need to be grounded in reality. Uh, and then I use what I call the elbow moments. And an elbow moment is one of those pieces of information, and, and the great writers will put them in multiple times in the song. An example of that would be in Tim McGraw's Live Like You Were Dying, written by Craig Wiseman. Uh, it's at 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Uh, those are elbow moments. When you hear them, it makes you go, oh, my gosh, I, I see that. I've never seen it that way. I, I have a song called Tables and Chairs, which has you don't choose music, music chooses you. And, and it's a visual as well as an emotional response, and that's what you've got to stack in to your songs, because people are in a visual world, and, and you've got to describe the scene to them. So visual furniture is the most important thing, uh, answering who, what, why, where, how, when, and you've got to answer those questions and do it very descriptively. Yeah, and the and the furniture is, is something that, you know, um, and, and, and just to give you a little testimony, uh, we had a couple episodes ago, we had uh, Melissa Brethauer as the guest on the podcast, and um, I, I w- wish we would have kept the recording going, but after we closed the podcast, she said uh, to, to myself and, and to Nick, who's here in the studio, she said, uh, do you want to hear the new song that, that I just wrote? And we said, yeah. And she played it through, and you know we loved it, we're giving her compliments and everything, and first thing she does is she looks at me and she says, what did you think? She said, how was the furniture? And and that's that's you know uh, that's a, a Mark Allen Barnett uh, student you know that's that's testifying that's to what right. he's saying and, and you know so she's challenging herself you know because because you're right you know she's only 24 so she went through that period where she's writing songs about emotions and boys breaking their heart and there's not a whole lot of wow. furniture in those songs it's just you know emotion after emotion song after song and you know pretty soon you've got ten songs not one. You know, where it's just someone crying over a boy and you go, There's no furniture in those songs. I can't I can't really see what, what you're describing. So that's 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 a real that's a real keeper. Um, yeah, I, I think she is wonderful, and, and I've had such a good time with you and her uh, talking this stuff over and seeing her perform and seeing her develop, and and that is so important. You know, people have very much a been there, done that, got the T-shirt attitude about everything. <laughs> when you bring the same songs in about the same things, they're going to quickly tune you out, and one of the biggest problems we all have in the entertainment industry is getting people to, to pay for music. And right. so if you, by definition, bring the same thing in over and over again, the same heartbreak, the same attitude, the same type of songs, why would anybody pay for any of that? Yeah, yeah. If an auto manufacturer rolled out the same vehicle every year and said, well, what's different about it? Well, it's a, it's blue right. this year. Uh, it's it's black yeah. this year. Well, so what? You know, when people That's stop, exactly right. Yeah. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's Bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is be sympathetic to restaurant owners, venue managers, festival organizers, and anyone else you're talking to about trying to get a booking. Remember that they're hearing from people like you all day, every day. 
Telephone calls, emails, walk-ins, these folks are constantly being bombarded with inquiries, so please be sympathetic. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. While we're in a bit of a teaching moment, uh, talk about the strategy that you recommend for the people who want to go from performing in the city where they live to all of a sudden jumping to a show or shows in some other random city or state, singular or plural. Yes, well, you've got to kind of conquer your own little sandbox before you go jumping out to other places. Uh, in Nashville, we just have about 600 people a week coming here. <laughs> Is that all? And, uh, we, yeah, well, and that's offset by about 1,200 people a week that move home. Wow. Uh, the average uh, the average person lasts between six months and two years, and they're gone. Wow. Uh, most of them fall out of love with music completely uh, by about three months because they're just overwhelmed by it. And uh, and so we just are consistently having to, to stay on top of our game, and, and it just gets it gets crowded. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I suggest that people, people work in their own areas where there are not so many people doing the same thing before you move to the next, uh, the next thing. I, I uh, had a, a, an artist that I've worked with. I'm pretty proud of him. He just went to number one a couple of weeks ago. That's Frankie Ballard. And um, when he was getting started, he was playing in bars in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And so he would come to Nashville. We would write better songs. So he went back and got more attention in his area. Radio started picking him up. He started opening shows for, for larger and larger crowds. Instead of just playing in bars, he started being in the concert arena. He opened for Kenny Chesney twice, and wow. he just got more and more attention. Well, it was because the songs were getting better. He was looking at music differently, and he was conquering his own region. His, he, he started in Kalamazoo, and then he went to Grand Rapids, and then to Pontiac, to Detroit, and, and all the time coming to Nashville and building his relationships here. And, and it just grows exponentially. By the time he was really zeroing in on Nashville, he was already known in the Midwest, for and, and his following was wonderfully. So he mm. could sit down with a record company and go, here's what I got, 40,000 Facebook friends, and wow. they're showing up every show that I do. And uh, record companies are interested in that kind of information. Yeah, that's great. And uh, and besides, uh, I'm just going to blow your horn uh, for a minute, and be, uh, besides Frankie Ballard, you also worked with Steel Magnolia and the Kinleys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Kinleys were my backup singers for five years, and uh, we were, they're like my sisters, still are. We played a show a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and as they came into Nashville, I was kind of the guy who was there and had the band. They were kind of nervous. They had played before, but had never been on kind of the bigger stage. Uh, and so I kind of brought them up a little bit. They got better and better, got their confidence, and, and then they took off. And then uh, Still Magnolia, the, the female singer, Megan Lindsay, wonderful singer, brand new in town, and one of my other clients was working with her. We would bring her in, write songs, get her into the studio, got her speed and her focus up on the vocals that we should do. Uh, with she and uh, Josh Jones, the, the male singer, we all kind of mm-hmm. did shows together and worked together, and I kind of tweaked them out, helped them kind of get uh, streamlined so that when the opportunity came to them, they won a television show, they knew what they were getting into. And uh, that's the way it works. Um, Mab, you do so much songwriting. A lot of people just think that if someone's songwriting, they must be working on a new CD that they're going to put out. But that's that's not the case with you. That's that's not what you songwrite for. No, no, I'm primarily a teacher, but I do teaching lessons with practical application uh, results. 
I am working on finding the passion within the soul of the singer. And I work with artists, and instead of the superficial things, I get them to look at things that are going on around them and manifest that into songs that other people can go, oh, God, that's my life. I'm exactly like that. And as we write these songs, and, and there's a lot of them, I'll, I'll write 10, 15, 20 songs with one artist to get two or three that are that absolute perfect fit for them. And uh, and that is what they take forward, and that's what helps build their career. It's a, you have to look at it in a longer term. Uh, some songs are made to get to other songs. Uh, mm. Some sometimes you'll write the same song a variety of ways till you get exactly the right tweak on it. Uh, some songs are made for entertainment purposes. You might uh, do something on stage that you wouldn't do live uh, because it's just a different type of song. So I, I educate uh, by doing, and that's where all of these songs have come from. I've written a lot of songs with a lot of people. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dare I say, he is probably writing a song during this podcast. He's that talented. I'm, that much I'm on the second verse right now. <laughs> Hang on. i got to spell your last name. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Wayne. And, and Nick, Bruce Wayne, Nick the, in this, too. The Batman. <laughs> I want to change from Wozniak <laughs> to Wayne. Uh, and on that, on that note, I am Bruce Wozniak, and joining me from Nashville on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line is Mark Allen Barnett. Visit his website at www.markallenbarnett.com. That's Mark with a C and then A-L-A-N and B-A-R-N-E-T-T-E. There are links there to YouTube and Facebook, and he has physical CDs as well as digital downloads available for purchase on his website. Be sure to check out www.nowhearthis.biz. That's H-E-A-R for the spelling challenged. And sign up for the e-newsletter there and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, feel free to use the social media buttons there as well to like the Now Hear This page on Facebook and or become a Twitter follower. It's uh, very nice to see those numbers increasing. Thank you to the listeners that have been coming on board with the Now Hear This social media. Uh, Mab, you've touched on, um, you do uh, what you call Nashville tours. You're, you're a performer and songwriting coach. Uh, is that because you have so much knowledge and experience to share or because you see so many people doing so many things wrong, or, or, or maybe for both reasons? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Uh, the whole tour thing got started uh, with a friend of mine I had not seen. I, I went to high school with and had not seen her for years, and she popped out of nowhere uh, living in Chicago and brought with her a friend to Nashville, and her friend needed somebody to listen to her songs, because mm-hmm. her friend was trying to decide whether to move to Nashville from New York City, mm. and I sat down with the girl, listened to a lot of her songs, listened to what she was doing, and she was really not fit, she was not fit for Nashville, because Nashville is just not the the place she really wanted to be, and it was, she would have ended up losing a lot of money on a job she had in New York City, and so uh, I saved her a quarter of a million dollars for that. Yeah. And my friend said, you should turn this into a business. And and what it has done is I, I, I see so many people doing, I don't want to say wrong things, but they're walking into glass doors. You know, mm-hmm, they, mm-hmm. they don't see the, the glass ceiling or the glass door in front of them. They just walk right into it, and they'll walk into it again and again and again, never realizing <laughs> that they're doing something that just doesn't resonate. So that's kind of where it all came from. And plus, you know, we all have to be realistic when you're hitting... 35 and 40 years old, you're not going to get a record deal anymore in the strict sense of the word. So I kind of had to shift what I was doing, and I stopped worrying about me and my career and started helping other people in their careers. And it's been a tremendously rewarding thing. Well, and, and you know, the, the number that you cited was uh, 600 people a week 
moving to Nashville. So when you see those types of numbers coming in, you say, okay, unfortunately, like you just said, a lot of these people are going to come in just completely uninformed. Uh, they're coming in blind. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and it's, I think it's, I think it, uh, I think it says a lot, you know, about you to decide that, you know what, I'm going to help these people out because otherwise they will waste a lot of time and money, uh, you know, and, and, and then become part of the uh, 1200 a week that are leaving. Yeah. And, and the least that you can do, I mean, if you can just put it into the perspective of some of these people that, that come in and maybe they don't achieve great stardom, but they get a great education. And if you don't, if they don't lose a lot of money, you can go back home and say, you know, well, I had a great time. I took my shot at it and, and I feel better because I, I tried to do that. Now I can move on with my life. And still, uh, I work with a lot of people who, who come in to Nashville once every so often, uh, three, four, five, six times a year, have a second little life. They have an extended family here. They have people that they know and they, they perform out with and write with, and then they go back and they live their life in, in their hometown. And it's kind of a good way to get that creative uh, stuff out there and yet maintain some sense of balance. As a matter of yeah. fact, I suggest people do that before trying to pack off and move to Nashville or New York or Los Angeles. Get a, a sense of it first. Make trips. Yeah, and and you know, for that matter, they can they can be a, a young Frankie Ballard, you know, who is trying to dominate in in the town where they live in, uh, but they they can only stand to to benefit from going to Nashville and getting that knowledge and saying, I'm not ready to live here yet, uh, but when I come, I take advantage of it. I learn. I go home and I apply it there. You know, whether it's sitting at home writing songs or whether it's being out on stage performing. Um, so right. that's you know that that's a great roadmap. Uh, Mab, you and I have uh, visited together in Nashville, but uh, we've also been together at songwriters festivals. I know it's hard to turn down opportunities when there are so many of your colleagues there. Uh, so, do you feel that those events are working vacations, or do you just try to go there and have some fun and, and leave the work aside for once because you're happy to be away from the everyday grind? I have written with around 50 number one songwriters, those people that hmm. have number one or top ten songs. Almost without question, every single one of them I met down there at the Frank Brown wow. Songwriter Stuff. Wow. The reason is, is everybody gets a chance to see each other because they're, they're doing shows together down there. Some of them are not natural performers. Some of them are, are primarily writers. Right. Uh, some of them may have touring schedules that just, it, when you're in Nashville, you just don't get a chance to see each other. Right. So uh, working vacations is a pretty good pretty good word for it, but it, it's an <laughs> ultimate networking opportunity. And networking is just meeting people and making friends. Yeah. So I have always utilized it to a great success uh, in Nashville by going to those events. Indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just changing the direction a little bit here. Who is someone today, someone current, that that you really admire? That is that is really doing everything right, and, and I guess dare I say, uh, someone that you would pay to go see live. Oh, without question, be Brad Paisley. Wow, didn't even have to think about it. No, no, I, I love Brad because he does something. Oh, you, you always sit back and you go, well, that guy did exactly what I wanted. That guy, did, you know, he got my gig, you know. All that. One of the things that I was doing when I moved to town trying to be an artist, I almost did too many things. I kind of had my comedy thing. I had my bluesy thing. I had 
my more contemporary country, my rock thing. I was doing too many things, mm -hmm. and people could not easily define me. What Brad does, he's been able to cover the country. He's been able to cover humor. He's been able to cover, you know, those amazingly heartbreak songs, Whiskey Lullaby. And he has an amazing... Uh, he used the title of his latest CD, his wheelhouse. He has a great, uh, just a great way that he looks at things, at subjects, and, and he's a tremendous player. I used to go see him on Sundays down at Twitsies. He'd be playing down, wow. down there, and he was just, just amazing. And I met him a few times, never got to really, really know him, had, had had dinner with him a couple of times when he's been sitting at the table next to me, but, uh, <laughs> other than that, but I just, I really have a great appreciation for what he does. Uh, the, the king of it all, another person I met a little bit was Garth Brooks, and he can cover, mm. you know, varieties of spice of life and being able to do these things that are all just a little unique and interesting. That's what interests me in a performer. And, uh, and Brad covers it today. Uh, and of course, I, I'll give kudos where, where they belong. And Taylor Swift, I think, is, is pretty amazing how she has captured her audience and, and captured a, a huge demographic and gone from country to pop. I think she's done it very, very well. And, uh, and so those between, uh, between Taylor and, uh, and Brad, I'd, I'd pay to see both of them. Well, I know, uh, I know they're few and far between, but what about the likes of uh, Garth Brooks, people who um, seem to all of a sudden just disappear off the radar at the prime of their career? I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking of Barry Sanders, you know, retiring from the Detroit Lions, you know, and everybody thought he could have played for years, and Garth Brooks all of a sudden, you know, stopped and and shut it down, and everybody's going, "What? What, what do you mean? What? What? what what's, your, what's your comment on 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 people? I mean, that. I mean, talk about going out on a high note. I mean, you know, it, it just yeah. begs the question: Why? Garth Brooks is the Jerry Seinfeld of our generation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, he's very, very smart. I, I have known him a few times over the years and just seen what he did. He, he was very dedicated to his daughters. Uh, he wanted to get off the road and raise them. Uh, and he never completely left. He still would do the, yeah. the, the Christmas song. He would, he would still, he would go to Steve Wynn's casino. Yep, yep. I was just going to say he would pop up in Vegas and, now and then. The, yeah, he, he never really disappeared. It's kind of like Ron Howard. He never disappeared. <laughs> he's still out there. You know, he's just doing different things. And now he's back out. He's going on a three-year tour. And uh, and one thing that you do have to be cautious about when you're uh, an entertainer, you want to be an icon entertainer. That means that's the Elton Johns, the Billy Joels, yeah. the, the people who are the icon. You want to do that. You don't want to be that, that over... Uh, past his crime, Muhammad Ali getting back in the ring one more time, getting the brain right, beat out. Right. You know, and and that again with Barry Sanders, and and I think Garth saw much of that coming. He saw a lot of the new waves coming into uh, into uh, country, and knew that his time, while not being up, his time at being in the forefront, uh, the leader of the pack, he didn't want to deliver something and it not charge. So he just backed out, lived his life. He'd made $200 million, and, uh, and you know, he could afford to do that. And uh, not many people can say that same thing. Yeah, yeah, because I was going to say, you know, now he can occasionally pop up in Vegas or, or wherever and, and command top dollar. It's not unlike, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac going out this year on tour, and I know... Uh, I saw a comment on Facebook recently. Somebody uh, here in Tampa that was that was looking for tickets when they were going on sale uh, was bemoaning the fact that the quote unquote cheap seats 
uh, the, the 300 level of the arena, uh, they were they were a uh, hundred dollars. Um, so you know right. when when you have that staying power of of a Fleetwood Mac of of a Garth Brooks, um, you know you've you've made your legacy. You know where you can come back and uh, you know or or you're right. You can also be Elton John and Billy Joel and just keep doing it year after year after year and 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 get those those prices and those you know I, Billy Joel. I lost track last time I last time I heard he was up to I think uh, eleven nights in a row at Madison Square Garden, um, and you know yeah. he, he's yeah. He, he's doing it every couple of months and selling out every one in minutes of announcing. Yeah, it's crazy. You know? And of course, my, then of course, you got my favorite band of all bands, which is the Eagles. I mean, you know, let's do our fel- our fifteenth farewell <laughs> tour. You know, let's just keep going and going and going. You know, and it, yeah, it, I don't know how many careers that are happening now are ever going to be that way in the future. Yeah. I think the the long career, I think, is uh, is going to be few and far between now. Uh, the internet has taken so much of the uniqueness out of the industry, but, uh, you know, there are going to be some people that are around forever uh, at the end of the world. It'll be cockroaches and Keith Richards. Uh, <laughs> and so... Being out there on tour. <laughs> so that sounds like a song title, Cockroaches and Keith yeah. Richards. <laughs> Cockroaches and Richards, that's pretty much uh, a good one. Um, before we close, you, you mentioned this song title earlier, uh, and, and we're going to play it at the end, but I would love for you to talk about your song, Tables and Chairs. It's uh, you know the, it's the one that, that we're going to end up the podcast with in its entirety, and, and I just love that song. Tell the listeners how that song came to be, because obviously someone who has written as many songs as you have is at a point where, you know, you're just making stuff up to write about, but that one sounds so personal, like it was written from a first-hand perspective at, at whatever point in time you wrote it. The elements of what I call national songwriting, and primarily country, but other things, they have three basic components. The first is reality. It's a reality base, a real situation. The second is conversational in tone. It just sounds like a conversation between two people. And the third is a reinforcing melodic hook. So when you put those together, that's the craft of it. I was in uh, Los Angeles, California, actually Malibu, California, and I was working with a guy who uh, is a very... Uh, you know, well-off music attorney named Stephen Fisher, and um, we're talking about songwriting, and he he had that kind of uh, God. I wish I had only moved to Nashville, kind of thing, and and he was kind of wishing he had been doing music instead of law. And I said, well, mm. you know, it's not always great. You know, as a matter of fact, most of the time it's just there at one in the morning. And, and we talked, and, and that was has happened to me. I think it's happened to every musician, every artist, sure, every sure. actor playing there for nobody. And uh, and so the song came out of that. It came very quickly. It was number 714 out of uh, <laughs> uh, songs that I had written since uh, the, the year 2003. And uh, I wrote it in 2006, I believe. And, and so... We just started putting this thing together, and to be honest, I forgot about the song because it's a slower, it's a ballad, you don't do that many of it. I did it at a workshop in Marshall, Texas, and, and of course, it's kind of my whole deal, it's, and, and it really connects with people who are like salespeople that are on the road, that are there at the bar at the end of the night, and it's just about loneliness, but continuing to go on, to persevere. And uh, this gentleman who uh, had gone to my workshop in Texas ended up popping up in Nashville. And uh, he asked me, he came over to dinner at my house one night, and he asked me to play the song, and I'd forgotten about it. I wow. started playing it, and he made me play it again and again and again. 
I started playing it live, and it's become one of my most requested songs. I wow. end every show with it. Wow. And um, just a, a, a random Mark Allen Barnett uh, fact, you mentioned uh, being out in California. You, you've been all over. I mean, not only all over the United States, but I know that to this day, uh, you get requested to go up and do uh, workshops in Canada. I know you've been, uh, is it, uh, I'm going to say the wrong one, either it's Bermuda or it's the Bahamas. Um, so yeah, you've, you've been, you've been all over the place. Um, but yeah, and, and last question then, um, and, and it's, it's fitting that, that you actually singled out the number, uh, what number song tables and chairs was that you wrote, uh, having, having written so many songs, um, you hear about songwriters that so clearly describe where and when they were, when they wrote such and such a song. I imagine that when you've written thousands (laughs) like you have, that they really have to be a true gem, you know, to stand out in such a way that you can remember writing as it, writing it as though it were yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of them just stay with you. You don't really know why. An interesting aspect of this business, kind of an interesting thing that I've always noticed, because all the people that I've written with and a lot of hit writers that I've interacted with, one of the questions I'll always say is, it was the song that became your big standard song, the one that was a big hit, was that the one you thought would be cut? And almost uh, almost always, it never was. It mm. was, uh, you know, Richard Lee, my friend Richard Lee uh, wrote Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue. Uh, a friend of mine, Larry Henley, wrote Wind Beneath My Wings. They were songs that just happened at that particular time. Sometimes they forgot about them, but there's something unique about them. And, and writers sometimes will get tied up with one song that doesn't quite make it, and then some of the other things... Uh, some of the other things just go amazingly. You you really can't be the best judge. You have to let the put it out there and let the world decide what what is. But you try to have that personal connection to everything. You put a piece of you into everything. Uh, I like to say that songwriters are the method actors of the music of the entertainment industry. Just like when Robert De Niro or or Brando would inhabit a role, every role they did, even if it was in a crappy movie. Every role, they bring that piece of life to them, and that's what we try to do as songwriters. Wow, this is uh, this has been great. Um, as always, you're you're so kind and generous with with your time and information, and you just have so much uh, so much to share with so many people. And, and I, I really appreciate you making the time today. And it's uh, it's always good to talk to you. You too, my friend. I thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Um, I want to formally thank my guest, Mark Allen Barnett. Visit his website at www.markallenbarnett.com, and that's Mark with a C, and then A-L-A-N and B-A-R-N-E-T-T-E. There are links there to YouTube and Facebook. Uh, He has physical CDs for sale, digital downloads available for purchase on his website. There's information about his uh, coaching and his Nashville tours that he talked about. Um, Look the man up. I'm can say with confidence that he would uh, greatly uh, enjoy hearing from from someone that's listening that that wants his assistance. Uh, don't forget to visit www.nowhearthis.biz and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address. And of course, please do subscribe to this podcast. And I'm going to say, tell your friends about it because I always do. And I really hope listeners that you're enjoying these podcasts and that you're so moved uh, that you will tell other people to listen, and uh, it really does help when you give us a nice review on iTunes uh, or even now on Stitcher Radio as well. 
you can click on the stars on uh, iTunes to, to give the podcast a rating. Uh, we have been recording this show at the great facilities at Crystal Blue Sound Studios near Tampa, Florida. Check them out online at www.cbpro.net. That's CB as in Crystal Blue. Thanks for listening. We'll send you out today with another song from today's guest, Mark Allen Barnett. This is another song of his that he wrote. It's called Tables and Chairs. Another night is ended The crowd is shuffled out Two guys at the end of the bar Throw their last buds down The smoky haze is lifted The work lights have come on Now I'm packing up this old guitar headed home alone I do what I do for the love of it sure ain't for the bucks maybe some magical wandering if I look deep enough what they see three hours a night Is a tortured soul laid bare Sometimes it feels like I'm playing for tables and chairs She used to come here with me And hang on every line they were all about her I had a reason to write But she couldn't take the lifestyle Of this gypsy on the move You don't choose music Music chooses you What I do for the love of it Sure ain't for the bucks Maybe some magical wandering If I look deep enough Cause what they see three hours a night Is a tortured soul laid bare Sometimes it feels like I'm playing for tables Chairs. Sometimes it feels like I'm playing for tables and chairs.